Hi, everyone. Welcome to Offscreen Death. I'm your host, Dave, with my co-host, Mike. And thankfully, we have a guest this week. This way, we get to talk about a good movie oh, instead whoa, whoa. of Mike's usual nonsense. I think that my batting average so far <laughs> is incredibly high with you, which is why I'm I'm really going to double down and start giving you some shit to watch. Because I've not enjoyed you saying, I actually like this. I'm sick of hearing that. So we'll see, you know, for my next selection. All of my emotions feel the same, feel the same. If you don't like where this is going, look away, look away. You're not in my way, you're in my path, look at that. All of my emotions feel the same. What a laugh, look at your tattoo. Something she can do. Yeah, I suppose that's true. You've been pretty good. So far, I've actually enjoyed those movies, shockingly enough. I'm sure that will change. But today, as I mentioned, we are going to have a guest, and we are going to be taking a look at the classic, the Criterion classic, It Happened One Night, I guess the original romantic comedy. And to do that, um, our guest is Erica. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at eRockReviews. Uh, she's also a writer for Their League and In Session Films. So, Erica, welcome welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm excited. Um, I'm trying. I, I recommended this uh, to be our watch because I'm slowly but surely trying to get through all the Best Picture winners. So this this um, is helping with me with that. So thanks for thanks for allowing me to to suggest that one to help myself out too. Well, as Mike knows, and really anyone who listens to this show knows I'm big on the list. So I really appreciate someone else coming in. Uh, with that attitude of trying to, you know, catch all those Oscar winners for sure. Uh, but is this one that you would kind of heard about, knew anything about going in, or were you just kind of totally blind? So kind of both, right? Um, I think this has stood out a little more on the Oscars Best Picture list um, than some of the older films because it is, of course, the first one that um, won the Oscar Big Five, right? And it's one of only three. So that has always stood out to me too. Um, I'm not necessarily working the uh, best picture list in order, which is, you know, I think how some people approach it, um, maybe working backwards or starting at the beginning and, and going up. Um, and I'm not really doing that. I'm just kind of watching them randomly. And this one has always stuck out because I'm like, okay, this is the not only one of the three films that have ever done it but the first to ever do it right so um otherwise i think it kind of would have flew under the radar for me um to be honest so um you know everyone that knows me on twitter knows silence of the lambs is one of my all-time favorites um so that one of course and then i recently watched one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh just last year actually and to be honest like i liked it and i thought it was really well done but i wasn't overly impressed with it i think because i'm going to be comparing every one of the these like oscar best five to silence of the lambs um which is unfair to these films right like they're not even in the same like not even in remotely the same type of film but um but yeah this one it it you know for it to be the first one to ever do it is a big thing right so i think it i think it holds up and obviously we'll get into it but um but that's really why it stood out for me and to be honest you guys are it, this is really interesting because every other podcast i've been on has said like okay we're gonna be watching this and this like are you cool with talking about that and i'm like sure like and i kind of like that like okay this is my homework and i know what i need to do and then having to think like oh what do i like the, they asked me what i want to watch like that's so nice <laughs> it, but it was 
kind of. I mean, if we're being honest, it's really so we have to do less work. We just bring on guests and say, <laughs> yeah. oh, screw it, you decide. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, and also like other, you know, other podcasts are doing like things that are out right now, like new stuff or, um, you know, they're doing a certain film because it's Black History Month or it's Women's Day or, you know, we only get a day. Um, so, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's it's a. Uh, one of the two and so i like that this is kind of like what do you what do you want to watch it was like kind of nice so i have to admit that we are (laughs) we are kind of cheating um because we are putting that all on the guests because the structure that we've worked out is that we'll start a series with a a guest selection and then dave and i will work off of that so you'll see you'll see the after effects of your influence on this show with the, the following two episodes uh, with no guests, um, because you know you're the the only guest. We've had other guests, but we won't release their episodes. They're trash. Yeah, exactly. I have to admit, though, I do kind of like this idea of regardless of genre, whether it's romantic comedy or whatever, comparing absolutely everything to Silence of the Lambs, your favorite. <laughs> when it's on that scale of it's one of only three films out of how many to win the Oscar best five, you have to put it on that scale. Right. And that scale is the silence of Williams for me. You know what I mean? But I'm really interested because Dave, I've been seeing on your Twitter that you watched um, how to lose a guy in 10 days last night. And I was wondering if you were watching that too. Look, Dave called down the, Dave called down the thunder and now he's got it because (laughs) Listen, yeah. that's one of my that's one what year did it come out? You just watched it, so you should probably know this. Two thousand four, I think. Two thousand three or four, somewhere in there. Okay, well that was Erica, like fourteen years old, like probably thought that was a masterpiece. Um I definitely remember seeing it in the theater. I've seen it umpteen times since then, but I haven't watched it in forever. And I saw you tweet it last night and I'm like, Oh my god, I wanna watch how to lose a guy in ten days and I'm like mm. okay, I have to okay. say that without think- giving anything away I'm kind of terrified of 14-year-old Erica right now. <laughs> Not okay. What are you saying, like, Dave? I'm almost was, I'm almost 40 and that's one of my favorite watches. What are you talking about? I I think this is uh what I what I, I like, like about this is it's Mike 1, Dave 0. It looks like going into our very next episode. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's one of my I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite films, but it's definitely one of those rom-coms that, like, I've seen a million times and, you know, willing to admit that I love it, you know. You're welcome, so, Dave. We'll say You're that. welcome. <laughs> All right. So Erica's coming in blind and I'm watching it for the second time. I watched it for the first time pretty recently, like within the last year. Uh, for another podcast I do uh, about all the Oscar winners called Awards Don't Matter. Oh, you two are the idiots that uh, Erica was talking about. You're going in order, starting from <laughs> almost a century ago. Hey, hey, you, Mike, you're the one that said idiot. I never said that was idiotic. I never said that. Oh, no, I'll say it. I, I, I will say it, yes. <laughs> but as I recall, Mike, you had an unopened Criterion copy. So did you finally right. break that open? Here's where I'm going to lose the listeners because uh, I, I do have a sealed copy of it. It's still sealed because I also, uh, <laughs> I guess I bought it on iTunes because it's in my digital library. So, you know, do I need to open it up or not? No. I mean, because there it is. So, look, I'm not saying it makes me a super fan, but I have, you know, stimulated the it happens one night economy by buying it twice in different forms. 
the first time I watched this was three years ago. It was for Green Book oh, is God. the reason I watched this because I was looking for it. Now, and Dave's already, he's already I... so upset. He's so upset <laughs> because <laughs> now that, here, here's, hear me out. I just want to point so, out to everybody that Erica has the exact same reaction as I'm having, which is head in hand. Can't believe it. No, no, actually, I'm I'm going to correct the listeners. <laughs> I'm going to correct the listeners. She is too busy looking for how to lose a guy in ten days, all of her collectibles and all of that, and we're we're on the same team still. So, uh, this podcast I did called War Machine versus Warhorse, which Dave was on a number of times, uh, used to cover new releases, as Erica talked about, like in that game, which Dave and I both decided. And not only are we too old for that, uh, Thanks, but pandemic, no problem anymore. Kind of, yeah, kind of fixed, yeah. So kind of fixed that mistake for all involved, I guess. Uh, but Green Book is coming out. Uh, I hated the trailer for it. Uh, I thought it looked stupid. I remember Dave and I talking about uh, Vigo's sort of Italian characterization, and uh, I was like, okay, I need. What are the two movies I'm gonna I'm gonna pick for this new release? Because that was the premise of that podcast. Was we're gonna do a double feature older films to celebrate in some way this new film coming out. And so I'm thinking of like road movies and I'm like, well, I've never seen it happen one night, but I end up not doing the episode because I'm like, well, I can't, I can't put out this like best picture classic for green book of all things. Cause that's ridiculous. That's even too ridiculous for my show. It was not. <laughs> yeah, yes. But at the time of its release, I'm like, okay, this is probably shooting a little too, too high off the mark. Uh, let's just scrap this episode. That's not going to work out. I just didn't realize how ahead of the game I was, that these two are, are equal. Who knew? Yes. Oscar prognosticator Mike. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the other movie was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, though. And I think that one... That one aligns more with it. So I watched it uh, for Green Book, as you know, all people do. You know, Green Book will be the future <laughs> inspiration for all uh, film fans to go back to the classics. Um, and I, I enjoyed it, um, but I do have a little bit of a sort of a Green Book hang up with it, in the sense that uh, I, I have a hard time seeing this film as you know it's it's mentioned as. You know, one of the three that had the, the big five awards because it is. And that's that's why I love the How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days talk. It is the skeleton for pretty much every rom-com for that entire genre. And it's hard for me to watch it now without some degree of bitterness and think like, oh, so we sneer at Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. But look at this. This is a, this is a classic and it's, it's fun. It's fun. And I enjoy the banter. I enjoy, I guess the titillation at the time. There's definitely a lot of like bare shoulders and then the bare chest of Clark and of Gable. Course, the leg scene. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, I brought unfaithful to this podcast. I'm with it. You know, I don't care if this is <laughs> the thirties. Apparently we just need more guests to do that because you won't do it. <laughs> but yeah, 1934. And, uh, this is a lot of fun. So I think, uh, and you know, Silence of the Lambs, uh, <laughs> similar fashion. It's, it's weird. I would say that one flew over the cuckoo's nest may be the outlier as far as of the three we're talking about. That one's that one. Well, that one seems like Oscar material to me. I think that's what I respect about Sons of Lambs is it's like pure genre fare yeah. that managed to take home all the awards. One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest 
you know, even when they were making it, they had to think, okay, this this may get some awards recognition, but sure. it happened one night. I like those happy accidents, like Green Book winning Best Picture, which <laughs> is still is still absurd to this day that that won. Well, yeah, and speaking of happy accidents, I guess then you do a little bit of research and you find out Claudette Colbert, the female lead here, um, saw the cut of the film and thought it was the worst thing that she ever did. So oh. I guess you just never know. It's a little uh, Burt Reynolds Boogie Nights action then. Huh. huh. And to me, it's so interesting when you watch movies like this because it is kind of the creation of a form and something brand new. And I watch it now and feel like, oh, this is kind of magic happening. And this person who's involved in it has no interest in it or think that it's terrible. So you just you really never know what you're going to get. Um, but I, I think context is really important, not just in terms of time, but in terms of the type of movie you're watching. And Mike, you brought up this idea that, uh, romantic comedies get sneered at and get talked down to and like, oh, they're not real movies. There's a very certain genre. And to me, like, yeah, you know, comparing a movie like this to any other movie during Oscars time is always kind of problematic. It's kind of hard because like, this is a subjective art form, but you know, there are certain movies within certain genres that are doing everything that they set out to do. And It Happened One Night is one of those movies to me. Like, you know, is it the same movie as Sounds of the Lambs? No, of course not. But it's set out to be fun. It's set out to be romantic. It's set mm-hmm. out to be sexy. Um, and it does all those things really well. So to me, this is essentially like a five-star romantic comedy. Like, this is absolutely as good as it gets and doesn't really have very many faults. Right. I think I really, you know, kind of put myself in the mindset of, okay, this is 19, what was it? 1934, 1934. This is setting the standard. It's, it's, it's essentially creating the genre, right? Like we, and like we said, we said earlier, Mike, I think you said earlier, like you notice so many things. This is the skeleton, you know, of what a rom-com is, but that's why this is the classic and it won all these awards is because it created this right um kind of and and you know you can look at this and and point to other things in rom-coms that you've seen right kind of in the way that like silence of the lambs is kind of the basis of like a you know like a thriller kind of um thing right like like i look like a thriller procedural yeah exactly Exactly. much lesser results. Yeah, like, I mean, I looked at The Little Things, which just came out recently, right? And I was like, you're trying to be something that you can't be because you can't be Silence of the Lambs and Seven and, you know, all these other films it was trying to pull from. You can't be all those that you can't take all those things and and swirl it into one and try to be this great film that totally missed the mark for me. I was so excited for The Little Things and it just really disappointed me. But other, you know, to look at it happened one night and then look at other rom-coms and say like, Oh, it kind of pulls from it. It doesn't try to be it right. It pulls from it. Um, and I think when you're looking at a film that kind of has set the mark for so many films after it, it ha you know, like you said, it has to be great. Um, so I'm trying, I try to watch it with like, okay, this was very different for at this time. It's I try to watch it as like, okay, don't think about all the billions of rom-coms you've seen. Think think of this as like, this set the mark for those, right? Um, and there's things like, you know, there's things that were happening. Like I was even thinking about when he 
throws her over his shoulder and they're walking across the the water or whatever and he like slaps her on the ass and I was like oh my god like I bet that was like really controversial back then but now it's just like I mean there's a lot of things we could say about it now but ultimately like I thought it was fun in that moment in that film at that time you know it was cute and it was funny and I really enjoyed it but it's funny because I was thinking like how do people react to this in 1934 when they saw that? Like, I, I, I was trying to think, like, what would that have been like, you know? It also makes me think, like, I'm really glad this got made, you know, when it did. Because if they tried to make it five or ten years later, then you've got the Hayes Code coming in right. and kind of messing everything up and not right. allowing them to make all these calls. Yeah. I mean, in this movie, you've got, you know, a man, an unmarried man and a woman uh, sharing a room. Like, you just wouldn't see that. And, you know, you might see the flirtation, but you wouldn't see half as much as you did in this version. Uh, do you mind joining the Israelites? You don't want to join the Israelites? All right. Uh, perhaps you're interested in how a man undresses. <laughs> you know, there's a funny thing about that. Quite a study in psychology. No two men do it alike. You know, I once knew a man who kept his hat on until he was completely undressed. Yeah, now he made a picture. Years later, his secret came out. He wore a toupee. Yeah. You know, I have a method all my own. Uh, if you'll notice, the coat came first, then the tie, then the shirt. Now, uh, according to Hoyle, after that, the uh, pants should be next. Here's where I'm different. I go for the shoes next. First the right, then the left. After that, it's uh, every man for himself. I did have a problem with that, Dave. The only problem I had too much Clark Gable. Uh, no, hey, hold on now. That's not that's not my problem. That's uh, he's got. I will this... say in Mike's defense, he is very pro male nudity, which is kind of surprising. Pro pro nudity in general is all. That's that's what I'm saying. That's where I'm coming from. Uh, wait, didn't you my guys problem know? With... Wait, 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 wait. Didn't you guys know that sex scenes should be removed from films? It gives nothing to it gives nothing uh, to uh, it. It it doesn't move the story. <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. Mm. I'm kidding. Obviously, there should be sex in every single film. <laughs> my problem was with the procedural aspect of his removing his clothes where he says most men would go for the pants before the shoes or something. I'm like, wait, who are these people? I'm like, what are you right. talking about? <laughs> right. You look like a child. What are you doing? What? Like, I, That was my what? only hang-up with that scene, Dave. Right, right, right. No, I agree. I totally agree. I was like, that doesn't make any sense, but whatever. You have your shirt off, so I'm paying attention still. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cute. And the, and the whole, you know, I was, I was on a, another podcast uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about how a lot of times in films with love stories, it's like all of a sudden they're in love. There's no development. There's no, like... Um, you know, seeing their relationship develop, all of a sudden it's just like they're madly in love with each other. And I love that this was not that at all, right? Um, it really takes the whole film to develop it. Um, and I appreciated that because a lot of old films didn't, and not to not to pigeonhole old films, but you guys know what I mean. Like, you know, when you're watching and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're madly in love. Okay, I guess I'm bought in on that, you know? Um, it's like that one podcast that Dave does. It's just a total waste of time for like the next, I don't know, 60 episodes until we get to, to, to modern films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eventually we'll get to something good. I promise. Uh, but yeah, you know, you bring up a really great point, Erica. I mean, Mike and I have talked about this before. We used to have a 
uh, a podcast about romantic comedies, and then uh, I got divorced, and Mike decided, oh, I do not want to hear what this guy has to say about love anymore. Uh, so now I'm just a guest. I show up every now and then. But in a lot of those movies, I would say most of those movies, you end up with like you know a meet cute, uh, and they kind of fall head over yeah. heels in love with each other, whether they realize it or not. There's an immediate thing, um, and this movie doesn't really have that. In some ways, they're kind of at each other's throats for most of the movie, um, but that romance builds and grows uh, until finally like really it comes close to the end of the movie until that right. comes to any kind of fruition and they right. really Clark connect Gable has way. his character has this weird thing where he succeeds through failing repeatedly uh which struck me as probably odd for the time uh i mean it's even odd now if you want to get into like modern rom-coms uh usually both parties are highly successful professionally but unlucky in love you know man or woman uh which you know tends to get really uh, really annoying because it's it's just a ruse so that they don't have they have all the time in the world to go on dates because they're financially set in some way right. uh, i like that we meet uh th- we meet this guy berating his boss uh it seems like he just spends most of the film trolling him even when he's on the cusp of success like hey i've got this great story of you know this uh rich woman who's run away from uh, her controlling father, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have the inside track, the inside scoop on this. Uh, but to maintain, I guess, his advantage on the world, uh, the only thing he has to sell and market himself in his profession, uh, he doesn't go into the stereotypical, like, sort of masculine qualities that you would expect. Like, I'm thinking of this guy on the bus that realizes, you know, just by reading the newspaper, like, oh, there's a reward for that woman, and I know who she is, and, um, Strangely, he decides to cut in Mr. Gable and say, like, hey, you know, I'm not greedy. We can split this. And does, you know, Clark start beating him senseless or, like, (laughs) anything like that? No, he immediately starts going into the gift of gab and lying and then playing the coat. He pretends he's a mobster, but he pretends that he's a failing one, that he's he's fucking it up. (laughs) It's strange. It's it's strange and uh, overall, like, charming. It's like any time maybe any sort of danger or I guess the, you know, the reality of the world of, Hey, there's like a quasi missing woman here starts to enter into it. It's like the film puts up barriers saying, no, 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 this is still going to be a good time. Like, yeah, yeah. That that could be like a scary thing, but you're in a movie world here and we want to keep right. these people together for as long as possible because right. we're enjoying their company. We're enjoying hanging out with them on this road trip, much like a uh, green book or something of that nature. Oh, Another, <laughs> Okay, I'm actually glad you brought that up. Not the Green Book thing, uh, but the other thing is that it, it brings forward like one of my favorite recurring gags in this movie, which is not only is he contacting his boss in order to uh, send off these messages, but he's also sending them all collect, <laughs> so he'll have to pay for it, which is just great. Um, and I think a lot of this comes down to the charm of Clark Gable, but this would be really easy to not like this guy at all Um, because he says some mean things he does some mean things um, but you're always still on his side like even when you know he's kind of berating her for like not knowing how buses work or having her stuff stolen uh, and then he has to pretend like he's a mobster all that stuff and yet he still all through it seems kind of like a nice guy and it's still a good time well he he punches up uh, instead of punching down Uh, so yeah I think everyone in the audience can probably allow him to be a dick to his boss. Uh, but it would be poor form. And a lot of rom-coms actually do probably go too far to mean spiritedness when, especially when you're talking about 
uh, you know, a, a rich person. Like we're going to take them down for, for being an idiot. Uh, instead, I mean, it's more practical as far as she wants to buy a snack. And he's like, what happened to the $4 you had yesterday? Like, you're not going to make it. Okay. <laughs> that pissed me off. I'm not going to lie when he was like, <laughs> but I think it's too, you know, again, this is way back when. And, you know, obviously times are different. But I loved that her character, like, you know, when we meet her in the beginning, she's very defiant of her father. Like, you can tell she's independent and and she's, you know... Um, a woman who is going to speak out and doesn't care and whatever. And then it's interesting to see him like, you know, she's like, I want this box of chocolates. And he's like, no, she does it. And she's just like, I was like, what the hell? Like, who are you to say if she can have a fucking box of chocolates or not? Like, fuck off. I was mad at him during that, actually. Um, And then, yeah, trying to like, was it fatherish? I don't know, with with him saying like with the money and stuff. I'm like, it's none of your business, you know? But I was thinking about this too, like you were saying, like how she doesn't know how a bus works or she loses her luggage or, you know, these things. And have you guys seen um, Failure to Launch? That I've actually not seen that one. Oh, we're really? going into McConaughey. Is that McConaughey territory again? It is. It is. Have you, Dave, have you seen it? It's Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, Terry Bradshaw naked, most of that movie. So Okay, like... I'm against nudity now. Sorry. <laughs> that's so funny um but okay so the premise of that i'm sorry i'm like going off on a little bit of a tangent but i swear i'm making a point um there's a little bit or okay i'm sorry there in that film you know the matthew mcconaughey's character is old lives at home with his parents and his parents are trying to get him out right like because he starts in these relationships and he's in these relationships with women and then when they realize he lives at home they're like this is ridiculous i'm gone so sarah jessica parker it's literally her job like she gets paid to find these men and do these things to get them to leave their parents home and it's funny because one of her little things that she does is like, I have to let him teach me something, right? So it's just funny because I looked at this like, oh, I wonder if that was like, I mean, what inspired that failure to launch film? I don't know, but it's just funny because I'm like, oh, it's like he's teaching her all these little things, right, about life that that aren't really like monumental things. But again, it's because he thinks she's the spoiled brat who has everything handed to her that he can teach her these little like, you know, real world um, street smarts kind of thing. Right. And she's changed because of it. But that's it's it's weird because I I remembered that sequence and come back to the rewatch. I was like, oh, is she like unlikable? Because I never actually see her as unlikable. Like even in that sequence, while there is you could read it as maybe condescending that the, the, the world's clock stops and starts when I'm ready. But I think the way she delivers that line is uh, like, she's just asking for a simple favor. Like, like, like it's some sort of small town, like family connection here where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm good for it. I'll be back. You know, I may be running a little bit behind, but you'll wait for me. Right. Because you know, that's what people do for one another and completely oblivious to, of course, the sort of functions of society here that that the bus <laughs> cannot keep waiting right. for people over and over again. That's not how the world works. That's yeah. not how the world works. And that's what he's, what he's trying to tell her. It's not that like, again, not that you're a bad person or like this person, per, like maybe inside wants to wait, like wait for you, but like, <laughs> right. that's not how it works. Right. Yeah. And it's also important for him though, too, because that when he's <laughs> refusing her, uh, I guess expense reports on on chocolates, like because it's a delicate balance of 
how predatory he could come across where it's like, Oh, this woman uh, is in a bad financial place where she can't actually make it to her destination and she won't be able to provide shelter for herself because you're going to have a sequence where they share a room together in 1934 and they, you know, they put up the curtain. And I think if you're not careful on how you put in those bits of dialogue or how you have the actors kind of play those scenes, it can look like this is all some sort of skeevy setup towards like, well, I guess we have to share a room together now because you blew the money. But if he allows it to happen, if he doesn't put a comment in there, it makes it look like he's plotting her demise just to be closer to her in some sort of nefarious right. way. And I never, I never get that impression, but I mean, you can stand back and you can look and be like, wow, if you just make a slight left turn here in the, the tone of this film, it can look kind of uh, uncomfortable at times. Yeah. And you bringing that up makes me think about just kind of how great this screenplay is for two reasons. Uh, one is that, you know, you, you brought up this idea of him maybe seeming nefarious if you do different things. And I think that's why they have this other guy who Clark Gable, you know, takes care of. He kind of, you know, slides in there and says like, oh, we're married to get this guy to leave her alone. Um, so, you know, you have that comparison base, which is really great. The other thing it does is instead of making this movie feel misogynistic, they give her a couple wins here and there. Like, it's not just a one-sided thing. Like, even when they first meet with that kind of unforgettable, oh, yeah, sequence, which is perfectly played by Gable, but even after that, she steals a seat. The papers, the papers. What's the idea of throwing them out? Oh, oh, the papers? You know, it's a long story, my friend. I never did like the idea of sitting on newspapers. I did it once, and all the headlines came over my white pants. On the level, it actually happened. Nobody bought a paper that day. They just followed me around over town and read the news off the seat of my pants. Oh, fresh guy, huh? What you need's a good sock on the nose. Now listen, partner. You may not like my nose, but I do. I always wear it out in the open, where if anybody wants to take a sock at it, they can do it. Oh, yeah? Now, that's a brilliant answer. Why didn't I think of it? Our conversation could have been over long ago. Oh, yeah? If you keep that up, we're not going to get anywhere. Oh, yeah? You got me. Yeah! <laughs> Excuse me, lady, but that upon which you sit is mine. I beg your pardon? Now, listen. I put up a stiff fight for that seat. So if it's just the same to you, scram. Driver, are these seats reserved? No, first come, first serve. Thank you. And kind of wins that little battle, and they, they go back and forth there. Um, and then, you know, obviously the most well-known scene in this movie uh, is the hitchhiking scene, and they give her another win there. So it kind of goes back and forth. So instead of him just always having one up on, on, on her, like knowing how trains work and knowing how the world works in the outside, she still is sharp, and she still kind of goes toe-to-toe with him, which I think you really need. Erica, you mentioned earlier, um, I guess, when the romantic shift happens in a lot of these where oftentimes they don't even bother with it because it's it's i mean the best version of it is saying that they're just being sort of meta the worst version is they're, they're being lazy where it's like you're here for a rom-com you're here to see these two people together we're not even gonna bother because let's just get right. to it right but would you say in it happened one night uh because dave's talking about how quick she is i mean she's ignorant in the truest sense and that she's just not been exposed to a lot of things yet, right. but she is quick on her feet. And I think the scene that exemplifies that the most is when they're playing 
at this uh, sort of domestic disturbance scene that they're they've 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 been interrupted. So the the way that they manage to hide her identity is they play a quarreling married couple that is so over the top that you can't help but want to get away from them. Yeah. <laughs> but I also <laughs> I think I think at one point during that scene I hit the volume down a couple notches. I was yeah. like, oh god, they're just yelling. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, and as someone, I'm like such a loud person, so I'm like usually not bothered, but like they were just so loud, like over, like you said, kind of just like overdoing it so loud. I was like, oh, I need to turn this down for a second, you know? And I do like the, the response from the other people in there, especially I think the uh, proprietor of that business. It's like, see, a totally normal married couple. Like this is <laughs> nothing to see here. Let's let's move along. Right, right. And they they both immediately fell into those roles, right? It was just this like unspoken understanding, like we're gonna play these two roles, and they both knew exactly what that meant, right? And actually that's kind of another win they give her. I like the fact that after all that stuff is done, they yeah. don't just turn around and go back to normal. Like they kind of congratulate each other and he's like, Hey, you know, we should uh we should take this on the road. We could make <laughs> some money doing this. And I I really right. like that bit as well. And I, I think the thing that kills me in this sequence is you know, she's in the newspaper. She is the most famous woman in the world at this point in time. Uh, she would be like Meghan Markle is now. Uh, and the only thing she really does to disguise herself, I guess, is like put her hand uh, halfway in front of her face. And like frizzes her hair a little bit. I'm like, okay, sure, that were Yeah. And like, and like you said, we're talking about how he's having successes and she's having successes. This is a shared success, right? Like they did this together. It wasn't planned, but they both showed up when they needed to at that moment, made it work. And now they have this success together. So I think it's like these little, it's like forming like a little bit of a next step, a next, you know, stone in the the path um, to move them along. Right. And it seems really silly, but uh, you know, I really think that's what that that scene serves as, right? Like, oh, we can maybe be good together, right? I also was thinking about how, you know, we talked about this has all the tropes. And one of them in particular is kind of the some of the ending where, you know, he shows up and we think, oh. you know, he's just there for the money. And it ends up, of course, he's there for you. And he actually does care for her. Well. He does have his own expense reports, which I, I did like. I, I, I enjoyed how uh, precise he was and exactly what he's owed. <laughs> yeah, the ending of this movie I do find kind of interesting because if there is a negative of this movie, I feel like it almost wraps up too quickly and we don't get necessarily the exact happy ending that we want to see. We get it, but we don't get to see it. I remember the first time I watched it, I had to like pause yeah. it right when he was headed to that wedding and I was shocked that there was like just a few minutes left. And And – Again, not to pigeonhole old films, but I think that's just, like, an old film thing, right? Like, so many old films, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that was an abrupt ending, but I guess it's over now, you know? Like, I'll never forget, I had suggested, you guys probably know I'm also Hitchcock-obsessed, um, that I was like, how have you not seen Vertigo? You have to watch Vertigo. And, spoiler alert, the end of Vertigo, she, you know, falls out of the top of the church, and, and then he's just standing there, and then it's like credits roll and it's my friend my friend texted me and was like oh my god these abrupt endings are going to end me like i cannot handle these abrupt endings and and yeah they are the endings are very abrupt and even the other day i watched um for the first time another another hitchcock film oh god i just the man who knew too much and um 
the, and you know that whole premise of that film is trying them trying to get their son back and then they're finally successful and then literally the end was just like he's back and then it was like <laughs> done and i'm like i'm like i'm like come on hitchcock you're better than that that was such an abrupt like stupid end like like we obviously know they got him back like and then you're just gonna i'd rather you just end there than having that scene where it's like and he's back you know um but Whatever. I just like imagining your your version of Vertigo, where the nun's like, "So are you gonna leave now, or what?" I mean, <laughs> yeah, and you're definitely preaching to the choir when it comes to Hitchcock here, especially Vertigo. Uh, longtime listeners, way longtime listeners, way back may realize that I didn't see a lot of Hitchcock movies until pretty recently, actually, because of Mike. Uh, I actually got paid Atrocious. to watch Vertigo. Oh wow! Um, yeah, we had a we had a Patreon, and people made me watch that movie, so. That was a hell of a way to start. I I love Vertigo. It's probably it's my second favorite Hitchcock film. My first one is Rope, which you've seen Rope, yes. Yeah. Shout out so. to uh Tangible Teddy, uh a, a troll film Twitter account who has a weird fascination with rope. So yeah. It's me, it's me in disguise. It's me in disguise because <laughs> I'm obsessed with rope. <laughs> yeah, I think his actual quote was Vertigo is overrated. Real men watch rope, which I think is the <laughs> gayest thing I've ever heard a straight man say. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, Mike, what about you? Uh, what did you think of the ending? Were there was there anything that stood out that didn't quite work for you? Or mm. I actually kind of like the uh, I guess the removal of Clark Gable from the ending just because it that is a little bit different if this is the staple of this genre uh that you, i mean everything is off screen uh which is uh fitting for what they can and cannot do um with <laughs> you know cuz for this to be sexually charged uh not supercharged like Diane Lane uh whoever that critic was um i i enjoy that now even having seen it i think it still threw me off though cuz i'm like oh okay so we'll go you know, embrace or, you know, they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll get to like talk or something, but it's like, no, um, <laughs> Clark Gable to me is just a, uh, a physical being. And like, once she, she makes that decision, uh, she's going to get laid. And that's, that's like her running away from her wedding day. And it's all, you know, silly and all that. But it was interesting to me that, uh, it's, it's Clark Gable is the one that, as you kind of mentioned earlier, Dave, that it's flipped and it's flipped even for a modern film that he is the one that undresses and does the strip tease. He's the one that our other romantic lead runs to and is sort of the quest object to go, go get. I actually kind of liked it. I mean, it's still, it's still surprising just because it doesn't follow in what you assume will be an obvious, like reconciliation of some sort, but you know, get down to business. That's, and right. that's what they do. Right. <laughs> Well, like you said, they kind of, like you said, they kind of built up to it the whole time with them, right? Like sharing these rooms and, and putting up this like, you know, makeshift wall, right? Um, y- you know, it, it, I mean, it worked, right? But then at the it, it that's the thing that allows the end to come together with that, like, okay, the, the wall's been torn down, right? Like, so I think it serves that purpose. Um, but I also... It implies I, a acuteness right. and it implies a lot more that for audience at the time you know i'm assuming they're walking out happy because right. the thoughts they're having are like hmm good for them 
right good for, good for me good later for, yeah good for <laughs> right right and us now we're like i want to see them bang like you know yeah. like i want to see them naked together right but i swear to god this is so strange i was not expecting mm-hmm. to invite a guest on and find the female version of mike truly mm-hmm. upsetting <laughs> i look I, I I have an eye for talent on film Twitter. I know how to scout. <laughs> Wait, Dave, are you not? Do you not like sex scenes in films? Oh no, I'm very pro oh, okay. sex in films. I what think a we prude need more of it. Dave is. Uh, but Mike has kind of made a thing out of it. Like he has been quoted many times as saying, "Pretty good movie. Needs more fucking. Take a half star off." <laughs> right. 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 Well, it's fun. It's funny because I, for the first time, first time ever the other day, I watched a film um, that I had to review for one of the sites I write for, um, for CRPWrites.com. And it was probably the first time ever in a film that there, I was like, that sex scene was so unnecessary, out of left field, did not make sense. But the whole film didn't make sense to defend, you know, to defend me saying that, Um, like the whole thing didn't make sense. So that was the first time ever, but but at the same time, I didn't even write about it in my review, my review because we got full male frontal, and that never happens, right? So I'm not gonna diss that because I'm like, okay, we got full male frontal, like, I, all right, I'm in on it, I guess, you know, like, and that's something we almost yeah, never exactly. get. I mean, I guess unless it's played for comedy. right, right, right. Yeah, and this was not a comedic moment when when it was happening in the film, but. You know, yeah, I think, like you said, there's kind of like, they were just like leaving it to your imagination, right? Even though they're fully telling you what's happening. Kind of like at the end of Hitchcock's North by Northwest, where there's literally the tunnel or the the train going into the tunnel. Oh, yeah, such a subtle analogy from the Master Really subtle. Really, really Quiet, Dave. Quiet. Let us enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but with this, like, I would have at least liked to see them to get, like, Okay, all jokes aside and all seriousness aside on the sex thing, I really wanted to see them, like you said, together again at the end. They didn't give us that satisfaction, but it also kind of, like, worked, right? Like, I kind of, it was kind of different, right? Like, you're you're like, oh, we're going to see them end up together, and then we never do. Um, Never actually do, right? Like, we know they're together, we know they're happy, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to see, especially when she, you know, leaves the wedding, which... Like, that moment when she's running, I just had, like, runaway bride, you know, imagery imagery in my head. Again, like, seeing all these influences it has later on films. Um, But I was like, okay, where do we get that moment where, like you said, they embrace or they, we see them together again. And, and, but again, it, like, works. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't mad about it. I was just like, oh, we didn't get that, you know? Okay, so before we wrap up and all that, I want to read the two of you something off of Wikipedia um, that set off all of my bullshit detectors, and I want to know if it sets off yours too, because this sounds questionable to me. But speaking of the Academy Awards, which we brought up before, you talked about the Big Five. Um, In 1935, after her Academy Award nomination, uh, Claudette Colbert, our lead, decided not to attend Mm -hmm. the ceremony, feeling confident that she wouldn't win the award and instead planned to take a cross-country railroad trip. After she was named the winner, studio chief Harry Cohn sent someone to drag her off the train, which had not yet left the station, and take her to the ceremony. So then she arrives wearing a two-piece traveling suit for which she had, uh, which she had had the Paramount Pictures costume designer Travis Banton make specifically for that trip, <laughs> um, which seems just a little convenient to me. 
Somebody somebody went to Wikipedia and started writing fan fiction. That there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. Like so wait, have you seen Are you that? saying and you have an an issue with it, Dave? Cuz I, I I kind of admire the hucksterism if that's true. Oh no, I don't have a problem with it, but it's written as if this is a totally normal thing mm-hmm. and just sort of true as opposed to something dreamed up by, you know, Eddie Mannix behind the scenes. Yeah. Wait, I want to know I want to know time-wise how you grab somebody off a train and get them to the Oscars. Well, I think back then for the awards, um, not as if they announced it before, but I think the studio heads knew ahead of time. Oh, so they had a little okay. leeway in order to get the information to her. Yeah. Not like now where we just open up the envelopes. Plus, she probably told the train to wait until the, the award comes in. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> yes! That's great. That's great. I love it. It's the second best rom-com I watched this weekend. I'll, I'll give it that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will talk about that more uh, on an upcoming episode. But before uh, we leave, Erica, do you have any final thoughts or want to tell people how to find you online? Yeah, no, um, it happened one night. It was really fun. This was really fun chatting with you guys. Um, like you said earlier, uh, you can find me at E-Rock Reviews um, in my Twitter bio. I have a link tree to all the you know places I write and other podcasts I've been on. Um, like you said earlier, I write for In Their Own League In Session and CRPWrites.com. Um, I'm so excited because this week is South by Southwest. I don't know when this episode's airing, but this week is South by Southwest coming up um, in session. I'm covering it for in session. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I'm so excited. This is my first film festival. You know, of course, we'd love to be in person, um, but the virtual thing is allowing me to do it. So I'm, oh my gosh, I've so, like, I'm, you know, signed up for million things to watch so i'm super excited about that um so hopefully by the end of next week i'll have a lot of reviews out from from the festival so um yeah i'm super excited about that have you guys ever done a film festival no i've done one in in person back in the the olden days uh which was a lot of fun and dave made fun of me because i took time out of the festival to watch and record a podcast with him on Catherine Heigl's uh, Unforgettable, which I was way more excited about than the stuff at the festival to watch. <laughs> I like, I like her. I oh, like her. Man. She, I Here mean, we go she again. Like, I do. I like her. <laughs> um, wait. Okay. I do have a question for you now, Mike. Did you watch that new show with her on Netflix called Firefly Lane or whatever? I I have not. I'm one of the rare people I don't uh I don't have a Netflix account oh, and I okay. think I mentioned it to my wife and she goes, "Wait, what is this and why do you want to watch it?" And I was like, "Well, Katherine Heigl." and she said, "No, we're not." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. This is my favorite thing thing because having met your wife, I can totally picture the look she was giving you and good for her. Um but <laughs> uh Mike, why don't you uh tell our audience what is coming up next in our next episode? Well, our, our our guest, uh, you I know, spoiled it, called it I? out. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's great because it's just building the hype for <laughs> the better rom com that I watched this weekend: How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Uh, and I guess spoiler alert for that film: we do get <laughs> one last embrace uh, there. So it bettered. It happened one night. It looked at that and said, "Okay, here are the flaws." 
Well, also, um, you, have to fix think, that. you have to think of audiences nowadays, right? Like, back then, like, there was nowhere for people to complain. And if, if, if things, if movies didn't end, I mean, clearly we've seen discourse on Twitter, right? When things don't end the way people want them God to end. God knows we have a like, place get, to complain get, now. Yeah, like, people, like, you have, it's, like, all about pleasing the audience now, right? So, yeah. And I just want yeah. to point out to both of you all, just to, to bring down the anger again, I did seriously consider... Uh, throwing Green Book into this to have like a road trip, no. like trilogy that we're doing here. No. It doesn't fit our criteria, Dave. It's actually rated too high for me to be allowed to pick it. It's it's at seventy eight percent, so it breaks the the self imposed rules we've set as far as like okay, that got enough critical acclaim. Mike, your part is to bring the the God ones. knows I'll never bring it on. It broke the uh, friends with benefits rule. Yes, I think 60, 68%. So, if, uh, if how was the guy in 10 days? 42%. What? Yeah, exactly. I know. We're going to fix this next Listen, episode. Listen, that has one of the best lines ever in a rom com when she says, No, you can't lose something you never had. I was like, 14 year old Erica was like, Damn, she. I'm. <laughs> cinema <laughs> this is deep you know what you're right you're right you can't lose something you never had like it's just yes and if for some reason you want more of this craziness on twitter um which mike runs you can follow us at offscreen death um or you can go to our instagram uh once mike chooses to actually put up some pictures uh, and you can follow us there at the offscreen death I just won't post because it's at the. I hate that. I hate it so much. Who is this person that took our handle? Uh, thank you so much for for uh, putting oh, Dave, uh, backing him into a corner for the next recording we do because there's already someone on the record saying this film was great and Dave has to feel bad about himself because he look, can't enjoy things, the finer look. things in life. <laughs> right. 